0: Hello and welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. My name is Richard Acton. This episode, episode 32, we're covering part two, Phoenix of Adulthood Rights, the second book in the Xenogenesis trilogy, and we're looking at chapters three through five. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host.
1: Michael Glinka. Hi, everyone. Hello, Michael. This time we have a... uh bit longer we cover three uh, three chapters because they're relatively short so
0: i think especially the the second one we're looking at or is the first one the first one the first one one is very very short yeah Yeah. Hmm, it's only 600 or so words yeah
1: um just i don't know i've edited the episode last time and i don't remember if we actually if i give my predictions from the at the end of the last episode ah okay yes so I just wanted to say that the I, I my predictions for chapter three were the men realize that Akin is gone, so they try to find him. But maybe some he somehow manages to escape him until someone else finds him. Maybe mm-hmm. someone from Phoenix. Uh, that was my prediction, and I don't know if we, we said it in the last episode or not. But if we didn't, I apologize for that.
0: I I, I don't remember if we mentioned it, but I think I think that uh, that general. Uh idea came up that we that we he might be found by someone else i remember that um i'd have to go back and check yeah <laughs> but anyway yes but that, that didn't quite pan out right he was uh fairly immediately caught again right?
1: yeah unfortunately yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean you know what do you expect from a one-year-old child like you know as much as intelligent he is his body's still mm-hmm. of a one-year-old child so he won't be able to move as much and as fast as possible you know as to To be yeah, to be a sufficient to escape from them, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it, it is interesting that uh, you know, having his mind in, in such a small body, right? It, it's a it's an unusual combination, even in other fiction where it's um where, where we have like very smart kids. thinks mm-hmm. like Enders Game, right? I think he's like six, something like that, at the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's still a little bit older than than uh, uh, than Akine is here.
1: I think it in a way it must be very frustrating for him and i would much mm. be frustrating for him because like you like the dexterity that of you know, your body doesn't match your intelligence mm-hmm. in a way right because you expect yeah. this level of intelligence from a 3 4 year old sort of maybe 5 i uh, mean
0: but possibly even uh, more right because his uh, i mean his level of articulation i think is probably um that of a much older kid although in mm. some ways he's still um yeah it's an interesting combination right because he's he's still kind of naive about a lot of stuff and and kind of new to things, but it's like it's almost like an adult mind that's still naive to a new situation, but like his level of sort of intelligence and analysis seems to be like much higher than you'd expect from from even yeah. a, an older kid but uh yeah he still is quite ignorant of the world so yeah it's it's a weird uh, i think it's combo. a
1: perfect example of the difference between intelligence and wisdom and uh, in his hmm. case like he's highly intelligent but wisdom is ex- from experience and from you know things you've learned so and so uh, obviously this is hi- like in dnd i would say it's a high intelligence low wisdom character <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay yeah good rpg
1: analogies <laughs> Well,
0: okay. Um, shall so, we should pick- we uh, should we jump into the summary for chapter sure, sure. three?
1: Yeah. So, chapter three um, starts with men the men um, realizing that Akin was gone. Uh, you know, after the whole situation of one of them try two of them trying to feed Akin with some poisonous beans, and then the whole situation, the chaos that then arose from that, and as hard as Akin tried to hide because of his age and small po- body he just couldn't lose them he could hear or occasionally see them but no matter what he couldn't get away fast enough the advantage of his construct body was mm. that he could see their thermal print on their body heat and used to his advantage by hiding in the flora but even that couldn't mm. fully hide him
0: yeah it doesn't quite manage to to give him enough of an edge to to escape them which is interesting yeah, yeah. And we we um, kind of talked about like the implications of having the ability to see an in infrared uh, before in episodes uh, 14 and 22. Uh, I searched through the notes to, to figure out which ones those were. Nice. Uh, Good. But yeah. So uh, uh, if you want a more in-depth discussion of what it would be like to see an in infrared, then uh,
1: watch episode 14 <laughs> um, and 22. 22. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that advantage didn't really help him because one of the men noticed him and then shouted to notify the rest. And mm. as he did, one another one just appeared, but this guy just, oh, okay, I will just follow the voice. And then he tripped over um, where Akin was hiding near a large tree. And then as he was falling, you know, he, re- in a reflex, he caught Akin. Um, so... The man called out to the other man, saying that he got him. Um, but the boy was wet and cold. But interestingly, interestingly, Akin's body temperature was lower than the human, so his skin would always feel cold to humans. Hmm.
0: Yeah, this is a kind of interesting characteristic of the the Oankali, right? I think we mm-hmm. we hadn't encountered that before. But uh, no. I mean, there is quite a lot of variance in in the average body temperature of um, animals that do you know, the the um, like endothermic. Um, thermoregulation, you know, that control their mm-hmm. their, their internal body temperatures. Um, like, so for example, elephants are about 36 and a half degrees, humans, of course, at about 37, but um, so rabbits are 39 and goats are like 39.7, almost 40. So there's a whole, uh, whole range of different sort of uh, average temperatures, although they all seem to be in a, a kind of broadly similar space, right, between sort of the the high 30s to, to mm-hmm. like low 40s seems to be like the,
1: the range that they're in. 39 Which, uh... degrees for rabbits and goats, but based on biology, wouldn't that denature the proteins in their bodies?
0: Well, presumably they're... I mean, it, it, like um, the the hy- hypothermal, um, hydrothermal vents for something, yeah, it's the hydrothermal vent uh, bacteria mm-hmm. um, that are adapted to handling super high temperatures, they're like almost boiling. Uh, presumably the... Um, enzymes are adapted for a slightly different temperature range in these uh, other organisms which is an interesting interesting thing to think about
1: Ah, interesting and have a look at the Mm. um, the structural differences between the um, proteins between for example humans and rabbits or goats because it's 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 interesting Mm. because you know on like everybody's thought that like no if your body temperature is higher than 37 degrees you should be trying to you know, lower it down because it can cause too serious you no know, problems. Especially if your body, bo- human body temperature reaches forty degrees, that's you no know, a danger in their uh, um, life because of the yeah. denaturing of the proteins in in our body. So, and then you have animals. Though I wasn't aware that have a much higher, well, much higher, but two degrees uh, temperature, a temperature, body temperature that's equivalent to a life-threatening situation in humans. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, actually, I think uh, the the first time I kind of like was uh, uh, accounted that acutely was some, when like a vet read the temperature of one of our pet rabbits. I was like, oh, is that that's high? And they're like, no, no, that's actually normal for rabbits. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I, I hadn't really given serious thought to that degree mm-hmm. of uh, like thermal variance within like uh, mammals. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, apparently that's the thing. Um,
1: when. Um... It, it, hmm no it's just about rabbits because when i had the animal handling course done for my phd um mm. they were showing there's a picture of like four or five different samples of uh, rabbit urine on it mm. and the guy was like so which ones are like is it, you no know, it's bad right because one of them was like green the other one was like purplish the other one was brown the other one was yellow like it's mm. just everybody was like guessing it's like no they're all fine yeah, rabbits are just weird. You can't really test... You, know, you can't really tell if the rabbit's healthy or not by looking at the urine. It's just... They are like that. And I was like, wow, okay. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's quite a lot of variability in the color. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd still get... Mm. I, I, I think a brown color might still be a, a little bit concerning because it might be indicative of some some bleeding. But other than that, yeah, pretty much.
1: So, yeah. Mm. If you're planning to have a rabbit, yeah. expe- expect, you know, multi-color- a rainbow... I've
0: called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if it says anything interesting about the the oncology, that they have a slightly lower temperature. Um, I suppose it might mean that they have um, very slightly more uh, efficient enzymes in the sense that they can handle all the metabolic processes that they need in lower t- uh, body temperature at, at a slightly lower temperature. Yeah. but uh, yeah,
1: uh, hmm. I wanted because the only says that you know it always feels cool. So I guess maybe we're talking about. Thirty-five degrees, thirty-four, something along the lines. Um, I
0: mean, it, 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 I think it could be, it could be higher because even a, a small difference in, in in relative temperature is, is, is quite perceptible, um, mm. by by touch, right? We're, we're surprisingly uh, surprisingly sensitive to being able to detect that. Yeah. So yeah, it might might just be a small difference. I mean, another pattern that i heard someone note was that placental mammals are hotter than marsupials which are hotter than monotremes So the sort of three big families of, of mammals um or, or three like um not big necessarily in terms of membership size because there are only three monotreme species but like deepest rooted differences in the mm-hmm. uh, the mammalian family so that would uh, and the monotremes are the oldest the marsupials are kind of the uh, slightly more recent, and the percentiles are, are the most recent. So, there's a bit of a pattern there, but I'm not sure what that means.
1: Potentially, yeah.
0: and yeah. chickens also run very hot. So,
1: I can I can I why. can tell that, but, especially with the chickens being boiled in my frying pan. <laughs> That's a bad joke. Excuse me. Um. Anyway,
0: but yeah, we're are get, getting a little uh, sidetracked as usual. Yes.
1: <laughs> um. So, a keen was wet and cold obviously but as mentioned his body temperature was lower so for humans his skin would feel always cool. And so far so far, the man didn't do anything, you know, held the boy and tried he held the boy and tried to warm him up by rubbing his hand, much to Akin's displeasure on the boy's back. Poor kid, shaking like hell, I hope those fools haven't made you sick. What do we know about taking care of a sick kid? Or for that matter, a well one. Um, Hmm. You know, the fact that the man didn't lift Akin by his leg was a pleasant change. (laughs) Come on.
0: Yeah. (laughs) These guys really don't know what they're doing, do they?
1: Yeah, Uh. but this is interesting. The stroking, though, felt like being rubbed across eyes, but he understood the man was trying to be kind. So the Hmm. man, you know, rubbing his hand on Akin's back to warm him up basically felt like as if somebody was rubbing your finger against your eye. Ugh, god,
0: yeah. oh god that's
1: unpleasant
0: that's uh not nice yeah, yeah. Mm. but that's the uh, the downside of having like uh, a bunch of super sensitive senses right yeah <laughs> you can uh, readily get overwhelmed by some uh, unpleasant inputs
1: i mean you know mm. it makes sense that like it it feels unpleasant because if you push your uh finger against your eye too strongly you can feel one pain and secondly you start to see light right so it it like because no, of the overstimulation awesome. of uh, mechanical stimulation of your retina so right. it makes sense that uh he, he will feel uncomfortable when you have overstimulation in the many different aspects mm-hmm. but, ugh, uncomfortable but anyway the chapter ends with the, uh, ma- the description of the man to be honest only his um head being ginger and mm. the the fact that he was the only one not involved in most of the events, keeping it to himself, you know, he was he was st- just standing there when Tino was uh, killed and mm. he was just staying quiet and just rowing in the canoe and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so we have
0: uh, yeah. him, we give him some distinguishing characteristics and have him as the kind of uh, the one who's just sort of tagging along.
1: Yeah. yeah, so Akin just hoped that maybe by staying close to this man, he would survive long enough to be sold. And that's where the chapter mm. ends.
0: Mm. Yep. So uh, things still looking pretty, uh, uh, pretty difficult for for Akeen. Right? He's uh, still not in a great place. No. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Although I suppose he, he has the one guy who's at least not like actively trying to kill him.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that, that there's at least one person who's not incompetent, <sighs> oh, no. that incompetent as they were, but still, you know, mm. things can well, change I mean- very quickly.
0: Potentially still incompetent, but at least aware of the fact that he's incompetent. Yeah. I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Baby steps. (sighs) Okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So maybe my chapter four prediction yeah yeah. so the journey continues but this time under supervision of the gingerman whom so far seemed to take care of akin that was my prediction i I didn't really could think of like what could happen next right but i was just hoping that Mm. maybe that man would protect akin enough against the other men that were in the group Mm. but yeah okay it's it's a very vague uh (laughs) prediction because i really couldn't I couldn't predict what would happen in the next chapter. It's just like, oh yeah, the journey is happening, continuing, but maybe you
0: mm. I, I, I we, they still seem to be kind of leaving him to his own devices to a significant degree. But I mean, he is he does have some more interactions with the with this uh, ginger man later on in the, mm-hmm. in the chapter, right?
1: Let's start with the chapter four. I guess summary. Um, mm-hmm. The chapter starts with Vakin trying to stay close to the ginger man. Provide ginger man. I. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, it's all we have to identify.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the the moment I said it, I just imagined a ginger biscuit, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, the ginger biscuit really just We need to the name for him, but anyway, that's the only information we have so far. Uh, so it's canon. He's
0: the Shrek character now. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Okay. Uh, Dep- Sorry. <laughs> <That's>
1: so <helpful. laughs> okay. Alright. Staying close to the ginger man to provide some protection from the others. Unfortunately, or fortunately for Akin, the next morning, Akin's original captor started vomiting blood until he collapsed. Hmm. Akin was terrified, you know, the man was in pain, bleeding, and all his friend could do to was to turn his head on one side so he doesn't reswell the you know vomit the blood he vomited mm-hmm. out. And, you know, in Akin's mind, he could not comprehend why they didn't try to find an Uloi. Why were they allowing their friend bleed to death? Um, he knew that, you know, Akin knew that humans could not stop themselves from hemorrhaging without help. Uh, you know, Akin could do it on his own body, but wasn't able to teach a human on an Uloi could do that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how he thinks about that, actually. Just the uh, sort of teaching the ability to, to like, control <laughs> whether or not you're, you're bleeding. It's an interesting... Uh concept.
1: I mean, as you but, pointed out in the notes, you know, I mean, like we mm-hmm. do have a blood clotting mechanism that would prevent, you know, stop certain level of bleeding, mm-hmm. right? In our bodies, but there is a limit to that, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's very effective at, at stopping bleeding when, you know, you haven't sort of nicked and made a major blood vessel, but uh, uh, and you know, it's a very sophisticated mechanism with, you know, all the platelets and clotting cascades and you know, there's a, a whole Set of complexity associated with it. it's very effective at, at uh, you know, handling when there's a kind of a small leak, as it were. But uh, yeah, not not so much for a, for a more major bleed,
1: especially when you're but vomiting it, it, blood. So who knows what uh, yeah. damage was in there.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think um, I think later on, actually, in the chapter, we get the the information that he does have an ulcer of some kind yes, that the Alankali yes. healed at some point. Yes. Um, so I mean, that that could be caused by something. Uh, else like uh, some kind of a uh, uh, gastric cancer but uh, in 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 the world these days uh stomach ulcers are caused by um i think about three quarters of the time by um helicobacter infections mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a point of contention for a long while um and there was an, an interesting story a, a sort of a science history story that came out of that whole uh, situation yes yeah, yeah. uh, australian scientist neil Noakes. Uh, who was kind of you know, convinced of this fact that you know it was the bacteria that were causing the stomach ulcers, and, and was struggling to get anyone else to to pay attention to this this uh, pretty you know, uh, reasonable hypothesis that he had, um, and eventually ended up doing some self experimentation. So he, he like ate a culture of H. pylori, this this bacteria that causes stomach ulcers, and gave himself a stomach ulcer, and you know did, got diagnosed with a stomach ulcer, and you know had the, the um, uh, gastroscope, looking at the ulcer and everything uh and then uh took an antibiotics course to treat it and it went away uh and uh i think this this was in 1984 uh and then uh, like about 20 years later i think he eventually got a nobel prize for for this work but yeah before that everyone was treating ulcers with um uh antacid type treatments um proton pump inhibitors that kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, which was not particularly effective. In fact, some may have even aggravated it to some degree.
1: I mean, but, uh, his story—I've um, heard his story, and this is a really famous story of like a scientist, mm. uh, you know, in a scientific community being shunned because his ideas was like, "Oh no, it's not, not true." And then, you know, he does something crazy and then gets a Nobel Prize for it. And this is one of those examples mm. when when you do an experiment, right, and you're sure of it, but like and. Yet people are like against what you're saying, right? And and to be mm. honest, this is this is the biggest I think problem with um like scientific community in a way that there are some projects that you can do or ideas that you can investigate but when you do the investigation, you realize like this is not going to work. And there's some people who hmm. can do this project and be like, they believe in them and they work on them. And like the question is then, are you going to spend your whole life on a project that's absolutely useless to do? Or will you end up like Neil Noakes and get a Nobel Prize because you've decided to persist on this? Hmm.
0: I mean, it's one of those things where um, the funding model becomes a bit of an issue, right? Because mm-hmm. it's uh, you can get funded to look at the questions where there's there's um, a sort of a, a convenient commercial route to um to like drug treatments and so on but if you're not if you're working on something that people don't think is in some sense fashionable it can be a lot harder to to get funding yeah and i think part of the part of the, the situation with um the whole neil nix history was that the, the proton pump inhibitor drugs were you know new um still under patent you know in, in label drugs that you could uh, that the pharmaceutical companies could could make some profit on. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you seem to get this quite a lot when it comes to the uh, the development of drugs, where it's like, we well, maybe we could treat this with a cheap generic that already exists. Like mm, nobody gets any money to, to look into the fact that we might be able to treat this with a cheap generic that already exists because uh, uh, you know not so much profit in,
1: in those. Um, but the fact is that in a lot of cases, uh, like you, you most, in a lot of cases, you don't have to have. Some really sophisticated answers, because you know the simpler approach you usually you would take usually actually is good enough, right? But I mean, it's it's oh my god, this is such a generalization. I'm I shouldn't have said that, but thinking about it <laughs> perspective. but yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. It sometimes depends. Yes,
1: <laughs> let's just say this was overgeneralization that I'm aware that is absolutely fucking wrong, but um, it's true in some aspects and let's leave it at that there. I mean <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah
0: but um, anyway returning a little bit to the whole uh, clotting thing mm-hmm. um, so I think it's, it's quite fascinating that the Uloi have this uh, and perhaps the other Carly have this degree of control like in the if, if they were it's, it sounds to uh, like uh, you know, Akin is, is saying that, like if, if he you know someone like slashed an artery or something they could uh, handle that uh, you know they could like consciously constrict the blood vessel or something i which, feel which like
1: doesn't... so you know like when uh in the previous book joseph was cut by kurt hmm. and he started visibly healing on their inner eyes right i think this mm-hmm. is what that's when we discuss it i think that um the cells in their bodies probably are capable of um much faster response to damage than for example in humans right because Mm-hmm. in humans when the normal process healing let's say skin right we cut your skin and then the first of all this like the detection of the um at the area of the wound comes these the lymphocyte macrophages all the immune c- cells that you know um mm-hmm. destroy any bacteria or viruses that could potentially get in and then you know then and gobble up the whatever debris that um mm-hmm. collected and then you have you know platelets appearing and you know um to, to block the damage and then after that the epith- um, uh, epithelial cells in the skin the actually the leading epithelial mm-hmm. cells is the called they start like crawling uh towards each other um you know other sides of the wound just to start closing it right so that's that's the mm-hmm. basically very quick let's say um description of the um healing process so i think that might be the case that Basically, this this whole process is much more um, localized and much faster to localize uh, in the case of Onkali and the constructs. Um, mm-hmm. You know the fa- the fact that no, Joseph was healing in literally in front of the eyes of every all human out there means that the process must be like boosted, like really super boosted and. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. So kind of a lot faster on the healing process. Yeah. So but, yeah, it yeah. might be the case that although I think. I would imagine, though, that... Um, so, for example, if you had a, an injury to a, a reasonably major blood vessel, right, you'd have to stop that hemorrhaging before you could really get into the, yes. the beginning of the wound healing process, yes. right? You need a, you know, a clot to form, and the kind of scab uh, scabbing, I think, uh, it contributes to the wound healing process to some degree, right? Because around the fringes of that is where you start getting the, the cells migrating, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes,
1: yes, that's correct. You need, like, yeah. the fibr- hmm. fibrin... Yeah, because it's uh, yeah, yeah, fibrin. Fibrin, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah you I need think. fibrin. You mm-hmm. all this like to to, to catch the um, platelets and all that. And of course, then you need fibroblasts to lay down the matrix for the cells to order. That. So yes, this it's more of that. Hmm. Like, probably, I think I was going to say that I agree with you that probably um, the construct and the uh, oncalli probably can constrict their blood vessels to a certain degree so that it sort of stops the bleeding in a way.
0: Mm. Which there will be a really interesting kind of level of like biofeedback control to have right to just be able to be like, you know, consciously decide to just like, you know, what? I don't want to pump blood to this finger anymore, just for like, because you know, I've nicked it. Yeah, that would be super useful.
1: I, I mean, you know, like, it's, it's interesting, because <laughs> we, it's, I'm surprised, I guess this is the energy um, aspect uh, of it, an uh, energy cost in terms of evolutionary um, uh, mm. um, development. But like, when you think about it, in our brain, there's this artery that is basically i don't remember the name for forgive me for that but like it's basically a circle right it's it's a continuous circle mm-hmm. in the in our brains and then so that when the major blood vessels go to it the blood goes through that sort of circular vessel and then from out that it branches the blood vessels go to all around the brain so that provides oxygen glucose and stuff like that right but mm-hmm. that System has evolved so that in case you get a blood clot, the system is not completely closed, right? You, you don't get full color. Uh. If it happened, if a blood clot happened, that then you're pretty much okay because um, the blood will still travel to where it's supposed to travel, right? To the rest of the brain. Mm. So the reason why I'm saying is that is I'm surprised that our bodies haven't evolved in a way that in case anything happens, for example, you cut yourself and you still and you don't want to lose, you know, lose the um, possibility for the blood to still reach the some region let's say you cut your arm or something and you still want the blood to reach your fingers and hand, so you don't lose that hand um, hmm. you would think that there would be some like let's say a uh, blood vessels on the outside and the inside of the arm or something that would both travel maybe they are maybe they are. my anatomy knowledge is just complete garbage and I don't know but you hmm. know what I mean is that there should be sort of like a backup system you know uh, just in case. Yeah, yeah
0: i suppose it's one of those like um uh energy cost of having redundant systems plus the you know whether or not there's a, a, a smooth evolutionary trajectory that you can take yeah. you from from uh, from you know to a, a to b without having to have a you know a foresighted mechanism <laughs> because
1: I mean when you think about uh, it there's only yeah. there's two main vessels going to the that connect um, uh, vina cava I think that's the name of the vessel that goes to the heart is that correct to the heart yeah yeah I, I
0: think yeah vena cava and the, the aorta right
1: yeah so you have mm-hmm. those two main uh, ve- one, a vessel and artery right and then the carotid artery is the main artery that goes to your brain right that's only single one so if you cut that like if you don't stop the bleeding you're gone right that's that's a that's it um it's Hmm. usually because of blood loss but also because the brain isn't getting enough oxygen and stuff like that but you would think that you there would be some backup in a way for that just to make sure that it doesn't happen but hey Hmm.
0: Um, although i suppose um like humans are uh, a unique system in the the sort of um like the degree of um like self-awareness and and the detail of the self-model so I, i think for the most part you wouldn't want like for most animals you wouldn't necessarily want them to have conscious control over things like you know blood flow right for the most part you can handle that unconsciously well with kind of some some good heuristics right but uh for us it would be super useful to be able to have access to those kind of things and be like "Ah, okay yeah um while this finger is bleeding i'm just going to like temporarily significantly reduce the blood flow to this finger so i can you know patch it up and then we'll go back to having good blood flow but like the uh, that re- re- requires a degree of like uh, judgment about whether or not a particular limb should be getting blood or not right? and th- that's a level of access to well, like, the internals of how the system works you and, say that and then my thought
1: first it. thought was like god if we had this control there would be another level of sex fetishes like just just you know auto asphyxiation would be another <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, auto yeah, erotic well. asphyxiation as they call it oh my god okay mm. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah <sighs> but they, yeah it's an interesting thing to think about right now because absolutely the Orlies seem to have this degree of like introspective access to the way that their own systems work, um, and we we don't yet um, but uh, yeah, it would be uh, super interesting to to be able to do that. But yeah, it's almost like we, like, the, the Carly have, um, in computer analogy, they have like root access to their, their biological operating Basically, system. Basically. Like, yes, they can go yes. in and change stuff. Yeah. But, but we're, we're like unprivileged users of our biology. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, we get the, uh, you don't have admin privileges to, to stop the blood from flowing in a particular place. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Biohacking time. <laughs>
1: I mean, I just can't imagine somebody doing a pseudo-RM or if it's just uh, their own system. <laughs> yeah, that, that's,
0: the, that's the problem, right? <laughs> if we had root access, we'd seriously fuck it up.
1: Yeah, it's very quickly. <laughs> it's like, oh, just I can imagine it's stuck overflow me Hi, I accidentally cut the blood supply to this major vessel and I don't know how to go, like, but the system is not responding. <laughs>
0: Oh dear. Actually, yeah, now I think about it, yeah, doctors would probably not want you to do <laughs> No,
1: they they would be like, Oh, what no. did you do this time? Sorry, I was playing with my fingers and I I think I completely cut out all the blood supply to my you know hand. Yeah.
0: So the level of stupid shenanigans they deal dealing with with people showing up in um in the emergency room anyway. It's just like imagine if we had <laughs> that level of control over a biology. I know. It would be uh, uh, maybe it's some you know, in
1: some cases it's better that we don't. Like mm-hmm. maybe. But anyway, I think anyway, off the tangent. Let's go back. Mm-hmm. So we're in the situation where the man is bleeding, and one of the men decide to go get some water, while the others were trying to take care of the said bleeding man. Um, the ginger man, you know, realizing the boy was you know sh- like shaking, was like decided to just take him away uh, to then to the same place where the first man went to get water, and as the man, you know. As they reached that area, the man was, as the man was exercising his frustration on a nearby tree trunk, Akin wanted to speak to him, but couldn't force himself to speak out. Uh, eventually, he took uh, Akin to his hands and looked warningly. and asked, You're not getting sick too, are you? He asked, Please God, no. No, Akin whispered. and The man looked at Akin sharply and realized that one of the men, Tilden, said he thought Akin knew few words, but it seems that he knows more than few. Uh, Akin made a mistake hmm.
0: yeah <laughs> but yeah if he hadn't made a mistake with, with no he definitely made a mistake when he answered the the kind of uh, the next question with yes yeah. like, oh,
1: mm-hmm. so yeah. this is like Akin did not realize until later that the man was not expecting the answer and this is what the book says and I think it's pretty much it's quite humanity pretty well Human beings mm-hmm. talk to trees and rivers and boats and insects in the way they talk to babies. They talk to be talking, um, by they believe they were talking to an uncompre- uncomprehending things. It upset and frightened them when something that should have been mute answered intelligently. I mean, I would be also freaked out if a boat mm-hmm. responded to me. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. As someone who talks to themselves quite a lot, I would be a little disconcerted if, like, the inanimate objects in my apartment started talking back to me.
1: (laughs) Immediately, hello, Dr. Yes, I think I have a schizophrenia. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. the wall is responding to my questions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would would say that, you know, it, it... hits pretty well everybody you know everybody i'm sure like i mean nowadays people even name their toasters and talk to them like i mean it makes sense that you know like if things responded to them mm. that would be a big sign to go and see a doctor
0: yeah although uh, like increasingly now with like uh, smart home utility devices like if you took someone from like I don't know, 20 30 years ago
1: oh my god
0: and put them in put them in a house with like an echo or an alexa or something and you know they're talking to their freaking smart fridge and it starts asking, <laughs> answering the
1: questions. <laughs> oh my god!
0: <laughs> It'd be a pretty weird experience.
1: Yeah, I, I imagine like somebody from eighteenth, nineteenth century, really, like Victorian times, like when the fridges mm-hmm. started becoming the first, you know, first thing, and then you bring them here, and they, like go, they go to, oh, this is a fridge, and goes like they start talking, and they just, like, I can imagine the freaking how horrified they mm-hmm. would be.
0: Mm-hmm. And even just like. Um, uh headsets right mm. nowadays it's perfectly normal to see people walking down the, the street uh, appearing to be just talking to themselves yes but like before the advent of, of wireless headsets that would have been like a, a pretty weird red flag right someone's just wandering down the road like talking to themselves no absolutely mm. i think What's going on here? there
1: was a great um interview with a prisoner who was um in america who went to prison for i think murder in like early oh, just mm. after uh, I don't know, like 50, 60s, I think. And then mm-hmm. the the person came mm-hmm. out from the prison and finished their um the term, the term, term. yes, that's the word I was looking at the term, mm-hmm. like after I don't know, 40, 50 years or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And um and um the first thing they said was like I was, it was like, difference in, you know, like the first time I saw cars, there was like, no, like, there was really cool retro cars, as we called them. And now it's just like, everybody's having a hmm. car. Plus, everybody I thought when they saw they were like FBI agents because they had like earphones in their like ears. Like, that's the only yeah. situation is when you had like, you know, federal agents walking around. That's the only time he saw something <laughs> like this.
0: Yeah. Uh, the old uh, two way radio things with the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And oh, times change.
1: Yeah, honestly, it's it's pretty crazy.
0: So, uh, yeah, we were talking to ourselves, and we were disconcerted by the fact that the things were answering. And yes, <laughs> uh, the same thing happened to this guy who was talking to Akin.
1: So Akin was just so terrified and worried about the man. Um, that he forgot he shouldn't have spoken uh, Akin continues saying that the man will die if an Ulo is not called for help but the man losing the kindness and the, or friendliness in his voice only said what the hell are you? Akin fought further asking why should his friend die but the man said that he was 65 years awake for 65 years uh, and that he had an ulcer the worms as they call the Onkali, fixed it before but uh, he would rather cut his own throat than having them touch him again. Akin looked at the man, tried to understand his new expression of revulsion and hatred. Did he feel these things towards Akin as well as towards Don Onkali? He was looking at Akin. The conversation continued on Akin's origins, eventually leading to a question about Boy's mother, to which Akin replied that he was born of a human woman. The man seemed curious, but not in the way that Tino was. But in the way, some humans turn over rotting logs so that they can enjoy being disgusted by what lived there. The man asked then if Tino was Akin's father, and that caused the boy to start crying. He thought about Tino many times and still couldn't comprehend why would they hate him so much. The man answered, said that he was a traitor, but Akin said he never hurt other humans. He wasn't even trying to hurt anyone when they killed him. He was just afraid for the boy.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a, um, a... Because it's interesting because can kind of jumps straight to a saying something that is a, a very adult kind of concept, right? He's like, this person is going to die if you don't get help. Yes. And his immediate place to go for help is the Uloi. So I can certainly see why from the perspective of someone who has this like resistor attitude mm-hmm. that this is going to be really uh, like disturbing to him. Because you know, firstly, he's got a baby that has this kind of adult understanding of, of like the, the seriousness of the situation yes. this friend's in and he's saying you know you should call a new lie the the very thing that they're most like a, averse to so uh, absolutely yeah
1: yeah Ye-
0: definitely a, a dangerous thing to be saying yes
1: ex- yeah so it's mm. boy is intelligent but lacks the wisdom to keep his mouth shut exactly situation and this is an excerpt from a book the man looked at him with a deep disgust you may not be valuable Akin wiped his face and stared his own dislike back at this man, who defended the killing of Tino, who had never harmed him. I will be valuable to you, he said. All I have to do is be quiet, then you can be rid of me and I can be rid of you. Um, the man just walked away, mm. but Akin knew they would not leave him. Akin was angry. Lilith once told him that human beings fear difference while the Onkali crave it. Humans persecute their different ones, yet they need them to give themselves definition and status, whereas the Onkali seek that difference and collect it. The Onkali needed to prevent stagnation and overspecialization. Lilith told him that once he grows up and starts to feel both of those feelings, he should embrace the Onkali way. Akin understood that he would mm. never embrace the human nature after the humans not only rejected him, but also made him wish that he was strong enough to hurt them. And I think this is a beautiful paragraph that describes exactly what humans are Mm -hmm. it's it's it it uh, hits the it hits nails so well it's just it's it's crazy
0: yeah Uh, the the um, point about the the difference is very interesting there because and the the, the having the Owen carly crave it i think there's an interesting kind of a little story about when octavia was was writing this Uh um she, she was looking up um words in the dictionary and she had this sort of old edition. I, I, I think I've been an Oxford English Dictionary, and, and um, she was trying to find uh, xenophile um, or xenophilia, mm-hmm. um, and I think she couldn't find it in this this dictionary edition. Um, and there was uh, one uh, dictionary that had xenogenesis in there with the meaning, um, you know, having a um, the origin of something uh, very different from um, from the parents mm-hmm. of that thing um and that that's in, that, that in the then in later editions the xenogenesis went away uh xenophobe was always there and xenophile eventually came in but it's kind of this this interesting uh like change over time in, in what was uh, in the dictionary mm-hmm. uh with these different words but yeah the the absence of, of xenophile whilst xenophobe was there i think is a, a kind of a, a telling bit of like uh human socio-cultural history uh in the uh and it, it fits very well with this this concept, right? With the the uh, the Orancolia are xenophiles; they crave that which is different. Whereas the humans have a propensity to be xenophobes.
1: That's the thing, I'm like you know, it's different. um, I mean, it's you don't have to be that much different to somebody just not to like you. It's 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 quite disturbing how mm-hmm. much sometimes people are so quick to um hate someone to, mm-hmm. for a little difference. I think so. it, it
0: goes all. It goes back to what um, Nikanj said to, I think it was Joseph in the first book, uh, and Joseph and Lith when it's like, you know, difference is uh, difference dangerous, right? Different is uh, different might kill you, and, and that was true for your ancestors, and it's, it's true for you. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, there's a degree to which, like, the, the, there is a certain legitimacy to being afraid of the different because it is you know it's an unknown unknown yes right it, it's a thing that you yeah it, it's it, it it makes uh sense to be cautious to be concerned about something which is new because you don't know if it's going to be dangerous or not uh and yeah so it's, it's a difficult thing to uh to avoid and it, it's interesting that the the o have this uh the degree of xenophilia that they do because it it, it uh, um, it kind of says something about their history and, and their power, right? because it, it seems to indicate that they are powerful and resilient enough, or have been in their history, that when they encounter new things that, that not might not be that some, dangerous yeah, to them,
1: they're not worried that they will affect them.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's it's worked out for them in the, in the past, right? They're, they've they've been successful in their their xenophilia, which is uh, yeah, it's an interesting kind of notion. Mm. And actually, it, it, to bring it back to, to game theory. Um, mm-hmm. when you're playing an, an, an iterated prisoner's dilemma, right, where, where you, you have to um, play the prisoner's dilemma game, where you can uh, either um, uh, uh, cooperate, in which case you... Um, get
1: one year, was it? And then I'll say something and you're free, but the other person Well, gets there some... are
0: slightly different formulations on the, the reward structure, but it's basically, you, if you cooperate you get the best outcome. Mm-hmm. If one of you defects, you have the worst outcome and the other person has a, a A better outcome than you um and then uh uh, both of you defecting you both get really bad outcomes um so you have this this difficulty of picking whether or not you should uh, uh cooperate to try and get the optimal outcome but you might get screwed because the other person defects um uh so the um but if you play this if you simulate playing it the best strategy for it is is tit for tat right um in in many different versions of the the uh, simulation so like if if someone defects on you then you defect back if somebody uh cooperates then then you cooperate back but um a slightly generous tit for tat right so it opens on the cooperate move rather than opening on the defect mm-hmm. move and maybe it might have some very small random chance of um uh agreeing to cooperate again instead of doing the the hard tit for tat that strategy tends to be like the best one Mm -hmm. because it then it doesn't get stuck in a uh a tit for tat loop with a with a slightly um less good strategy right because if it occasionally is willing to uh let something slide then it has the opportunity to get back into a positive uh Subsequent set of interactions, so it's not infinitely iterating on the the, the defect loop, right? Um, but yeah, so the the I think the the Oankali strategy of, of opening on the uh, the cooperate move, uh, as it were, right, being xenophil- xenophilic, right, offering having a a cooperate on the first move approach, uh, has uh, has some some firm game theoretic basis. To some, I mean, degree. it also makes sense oh. the
1: fact from that they probably absorbed by now thousands of different, thousands upon thousands of different um, Mm -hmm. species, I would say, throughout the whole universe, meaning that they've encountered enough different that it's not much of a issue for them to be, oh, if it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, they can adjust well enough to any problems they can encounter relatively quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's also... um relevant to their sense of kind of identity because this is a, another thing that kind of comes up a lot as one of the themes in this book is, is the whole like what does it mean to be human question right? and exploring the borders of that mm-hmm. and lilith and many of the other humans are, are quite uncomfortable with the idea of of kind of the uh, like the pollution as it were of, of the human race or like the dilution the mixing mm-hmm. of the uh, um the, the human species because you know, it ultimately means it's going to go away but that's not a um, that's not a component of the identity of the Oankali right they don't mm-hmm. regard themselves as being diluted in their Oankaliness by mixing with others because it that mixing is what, is that, the center of their identity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what they do. Actually, that, that's an, an interesting analogy to, to belief as well. But it's um, also,
1: but the problem is thats that is that there is a, uh, mm-hmm. it always, th- but the problem with that statement is, Richard, that they do have those three different groups of Onkali, right, within those, like, let's say, tribes. Mm-hmm. One that creates yeah, the yeah. ship and uh, stays on the planet. The other one stays with the original planet and mix. but there's always one group that doesn't mix. Mm-hmm.
0: But I think that's that's um, a part of the the success of their their strategy in 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 the, the xenophilia, right? It it's it's xenophilic enough that they can incorporate the new strong stuff, but it's just conservative enough in 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 not having that mixing in that branch that that's kind of the you know the backup branch in case something goes wrong with one of these mixes that they they still have you know a, a group that will uh, survive, right? It, I think actually that's um, a key component of the success of this strategy that they have is that they do that. It it has this, 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 you know, to make like the political analogy, right. They have the conservative branch and they have like a super sort of open liberal progressive branch. And then there's one that's kind of down the middle. Right. Uh, So, you know, they're, they're willing to, to experiment on, on, on this end. And then they're they're willing to, to retain what has worked before on the other end. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it balances well for them,
1: oh. but yeah, I just. But go on, go on. So I was
0: just—I wanted to make an analogy between the um, uh, the the identity with the trading um, that the Arunthali have mm-hmm. to um, beliefs, right? Because people in um, uh, discussions about what they believe are quite frequently identified with like specific uh things that they believe. It becomes a kind of important part of your identity to believe a particular thing. Um, or You know, you think of yourself as the kind of person who believes X. And you see this quite a lot in political discourse. And it's often a source of um, people feeling personally attacked or personally offended by something because it, it's it, they regard that belief as being a, an important component of their identity. But if instead of identifying with the specific things you believe, you identify with being the sort of person who who tries to believe true things, right? Or the sort of person who who will you know follow the evidence where it leads, who who will be sceptical of whatever their beliefs are, and, and believe for that which seems most plausible. Then you're not subject to the same difficulty of identity when you're scrutinising your own beliefs and discussing stuff that is politically contentious, because you you're not identified with the specifics of what you would believe. You're identified with the, like the quality of the process by which you came to those beliefs. Yeah um and and that's um i think a thing that is kind of under discussed in political discourse because uh and I know people just sort of don't don't uh, uh think about it in those terms but uh and i think that's quite strongly analogous to this this notion that the ironkali have um of that they're not identified with the specifics of their biology right they don't the the particular things the particular properties that they have uh physically are not like important to who they are the thing that's important to who they are is the fact that they trade
1: no i absolutely agree but yeah. the thing is hmm. yes in in terms of onkali yes i think that's that's what's taking place in here that's um that allows it for that sort of balance in a way um hmm. the problem with the beliefs in you know with with humans is that a lot of those beliefs yeah as, you know as we try as scientists we've been sort of trained to keep an eye on things that and look for the actual truth or the objective facts that are there not just looking at someone's opinions and but the problem is that with a lot of those cases is that things like media can influence uh, mm. affect your emotions which then uh, make it much makes it much harder to, to state it on the objective sort of investigation of the truth, right?
0: Hmm. But I say even among the scientific community, it's not something oh, that we of course, um, of course. sort of. It's not something that we talk about explicitly. It's not a um, like the the. Um, it is something that kind of happens slightly more frequently than than is is normal among scientists, right? Because they, they identify with with being scientific in their methods right they identify with uh kind of you know following the scientific method to, to get to their conclusion identify with with being skeptics about this kind of thing so that happens a little bit more commonly but it's rarely a thing that we kind of think about explicitly no, or, or in a sort of meta sense right as, as a as a kind of stance that it's it's valuable to adopt to not be overly identified with the 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 specific things that you believe but rather with the um like the the commitment to uh, uh Using reliable mm-hmm. methods to come by those beliefs. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and I think that's actually a, a a psychologically useful frame to have when when thinking about uh, what it is that you believe and, and why, because uh, it it helps you to. Um, it actually you know, like if you think of your, your identity in those terms it, it's actually it's rewarding when you change your mind about something it's it, it, because it's ah, i i've followed the method right i've learned something new i've got a, a model of in my mind that now more closely matches the world right it's a good thing i th- whereas change for someone who has an attachment to a, a, a specific position it can be much more uh sort of emotionally challenging much more more traumatic because it's it it requires a change to your sense of identity to change your beliefs
1: i mean i think there's a great example of this if you if for our, our listeners i'm sure sh- i think we already mentioned it a few times but read harry potter and methods of rationality there's the perfect example of <laughs> what richard is talking about in there and to be fair i've been rereading that uh, that fan fiction again it's, it's brilliant um especially the science part but it the, the topic that we're discussing there is currently described of uh between interaction of harry and draco malfoy so i would highly recommend people who haven't read it to read it it's it's a great uh, piece of hmm. fanfic that to be honest i feel like should be canon sort of uh, like in Marvel multi universe <laughs> but you know where Harry's raised by scientific uh, science uh you know in in a yeah, house yeah. full of love and in a very very scientific approach.
0: <laughs> yeah I, I, I love that book. I mean apparently some people get rubbed the wrong the wrong way by it but um, I
1: to be honest I uh, am a dead fan of <laughs> Harry Potter. No matter what somebody tells me how bad the book is or J.K. Rolling blah, blah blah I love it. It was my childhood thing and I love it and it doesn't matter.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. As I, I I love the canon version. I love the new version. But, like, um, Harry, the character in the... Some people pursue... Like, we're... Um- you know sort of skeptics and like you know sort of slightly precocious smart asses in our own right yeah. right so we identify with harry <laughs> other people think he's a
1: dick <laughs> <laughs> to be fair he's a dick like there's no other thing
0: yes yes oh yeah yeah and there are reasons for that in uh, yes. the book but it's like yeah uh, To be f- anyway, anyway we've, yes, uh, we've we've got yes, a lot <laughs> from
1: yes talking about on kali to uh, Potter. so yes but mm. anyway um i i think Please go read, guys. Honestly, it's it's fantastic, and um, it really talks about a lot of topics out there that we cover actually, and in a way that are really mm-hmm. easily to really easy to understand and very yes, funny. Yes, absolutely. So. The chapter ends with uh, Akin eating near where the men were. He was afraid they would seriously hurt him, so he stayed close if he tried to run away, obviously. So he's just trying to st- stay close. As he was sitting, uh, admiring several ants, each of the size of a man's forefinger, um, so it's like, are we talking about like a piece of... Yeah, it's a large like, end. Are we talking about like a uh, the little bone of a finger, or are we talking about actual finger?
0: i think it sounds like an actual finger yeah like it's just i I mean there are ants that are like the the size of like i mean the first two joints on my finger i think i don't know of anything that's like long enough to be the full
1: finger i mean (laughs) come on like what the hell did Onkali do to make them so big but any so it's just like i just imagine Mm. it's like what um Mm. and as he was admiring those ants that the book described them like if it, they bit a human they would be like basically like bullet ants you, your, your hand would be like an agonizing pain one of the men grabbed him and went towards the river Akin saw that the three men were carrying the boat and there was no sign of the fifth man the bleeding man as they were in the canoe no one said anything one of them was crying for a man who seemed to hate everyone Akin realized that the man could explode any second so he made no sound hardly moved he must not be the trigger for the for the mm. explosion.
0: That's interesting. That that's his takeaway, right? Um, that that this this man is kind of uh, crying because this other guy uh, is uh, you know, near to death. But uh, a keen's takeaway from that is like these guys are super unpredictable, <laughs> and uh, anything could set them off. No,
1: honestly, uh, but in the uh, way he is right yeah. because the man who was bleeding, mm. I assume, is the same one who was. Treating a king from the beginning, you know, taking care of a king from the beginning, the one who was holding by a leg, and he's mm. just so it must have been that man. Mm-hmm. And I think so. The fact that you know they all were, you know, that he died because of the bleeding, internal bleeding, uh, for whatever the reason was, it could be ulcer, could be as you said, some sort of gastric cancer. Mm. It suggests that um, you know, that those men were long enough on the planet, um, struggling together that you know no matter mm. what like tipo bo- all of them sort of cared for each other right so um if akin i would also agree to be quiet if i was like you know akin so i just be like quiet hide don't don't make bring attention to yourself because the men potentially could release their frustrations on him right so
0: yeah, yeah yeah they seem to be uh, somewhat emotionally unstable
1: yeah so, I guess my Chapter 5 prediction, I mean, I completely missed the mark on Chapter 5, but um, I thought that maybe the Chapter 5 will finally make us reach the... You know, there'll be some journey going down the up the river, blah, 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 but they'll finally reach Phoenix, and then what we see there is, like... Although, initially, the book was talking about, like, the the, the town sort of losing the population because people realizing what they were doing was useless, because uh, no matter what... Mm-hmm. Maybe because of the southerners, we would see there its city full of people and full of guns, that they th- thinking that they can mm. take on Onkali on so. Okay, okay. That was my prediction. We 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 didn't quite get no, that yet. No, no, so, no. Uh, I completely missed the mark uh, on this one because we are back in with the Chan and uh, Onkali in the, in the Low Village in Chapter Five.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. Change of uh, change of setting, returning to a different part of the of the story. Yeah. Um do you want to uh, start yep. on something?
1: So, in this chapter, we learn a bit about the process of birth in the Onkari, which I think is fascinating. Um, mm. Chan helped Arges to a sitting position and placed himself behind her so she could rest against him. She never needed that before, but only this one time. In the act of giving birth, contact with all the family members was necessary. It was important because solitary births would produce an uloy. It was too soon... For a construct Uloi, right? Such children would grow, uh, would have been hmm. sent to the ship to grow up among low relatives up on the ship. Lilith was there with them as I just shared Lilith's births. Lilith would do the same for her.
0: Yeah, I think that there's an interesting point here that they say um, it's too soon for a construct Uloi, um, which is, uh, I think that they had the same kind of uh, reticence about like uh, two human um, male offspring. Mm-hmm um so it seems like they're even more reticent than having uh excessively human male offspring um than they are about having uh uloi human hybrid offspring which is uh interesting to note right so the uloi have other ones who have kind of the most capability but uh yeah, so I suppose it makes sense that they're more reticent even there uh, but also the um this kind of um the fact that the 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 if the akali are giving birth uh, in a solitary fashion without the family members like making contact with them I think is a really interesting kind of uh, biological insight right this little little uh, twist on the way that their biology works um, like they're more likely to give birth to an Uloi, or, or um, a, a, some offspring that's probably going to become anuloi if they don't have this contact. And of course, the uloi are a kind of key for their ability to reproduce, and they're, um, they're just more capable in hostile scenarios because of their like um, stingers and, and also and, the and possibility
1: so of like the modifying, like quick response to any changes or uh, damage mm-hmm. to the body. So. It's. It makes yeah, sense that, yeah, like, adaptable. they are sort of the, the way to preserve in a way their species in in a hostile environment. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that uh, I think that I'm struggling to come up with a specific biological example of this, but I, I, I think this is a, a phenomenon to some degree that you know you, you, there is a certain amount of adaptation to contextual cues. Uh, that you get um, from from uh, real biological systems, right? If you, if you don't have the indicators in your environment that this is, you know, a, a stable one that you might expect an an ordinary strategy to work in, versus one where you need to be ready for for a more stressful context. That's, Isn't
1: there? Uh, aren't there any fish? I, I think there's a fish that can change their um, sex um, based on the environment, like uh, op- the population size and environment. I think.
0: Hmm i think so yeah I, I, I can't recall any kind of specific like like life histories of a particular species that that does this but it's uh yeah i, I think there are there are certainly fish that, that change their their sex but I, I i can't recall if there's any that do it like specifically in response to being in like a stressful environment in which they're born or whatever but yeah I'm, i it would not surprise me
1: yeah i think i've read about a certain species of fish that i think it's like if the Population grows too much, and mm-hmm. oh, if the I don't remember which way it went. It's either the population grows too much, and the, so there's too many females, then some of them turn into males, or if it is not enough, if the population is too scarce, some of some of the females turn to males. So uh, sorry, some males turn into females, so that they can. Uh, there's a higher chance of um the population uh reestablishment. So, I don't remember exactly, but hmm. there is I think I'm pretty certain that there's a uh an animal out there and I'm pretty sure it's a fish that does mm-hmm. it. Yeah, we'll have to look yeah, it up. We'll <laughs> have to look in, So look in the references everyone.
0: But yes, so the we have um Dishan giving uh hardress, rather giving yes, birth. in um...
1: The process of giving birth. So, um we know that Tina was on the ship in the status uh healing in the Bacta ah, yes. tank as you as mm-hmm. you wrote. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for some reason that made me think of, of the, you know, the Star Wars back attacks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, in a healing pod.
1: And he, we we're told that he would probably not remember what happened, or at least had a vague situ memories of what, what took place. So after Tina was on the ship, was taken to the ship, they were planning to join looking for a king. Um, but then Ah-tia's, the child decided to be born. And we know, so Mm. we're told about a bit differences after the meeting with Don Kali of the birth cycle. So for humans, Mm. it's 11 months uh, original, which was original nine and 15 for Don Kali instead of the 18 months. Uh, okay yeah. So mm. the connection with humans changed things, um, and this is an excerpt from a book. Humans were so quick about everything, quick and potentially deadly. Construct births on both sides had to be more careful, carefully conventional than human and Kali births. Missing parents had to be simulated by the Uloi. The role had to be introduced very slowly after the child had gotten to know its parents. Lilith could not simply assist mm. at the birth and leave. Niekans had it all. Uh, had all. It could to do yeah. Nikanj had all it could to stimulating Joseph and being itself for the child. More would be uncertain, mm. unsafe for the construct child. Huh.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So it's the 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 development seems to, uh, or at least of the constructs it re- sort of requires the ongoing presence of the the parents, which is a, an interesting mm. notion.
1: Yeah. Mm. Absolutely.
0: And also the um, the eleven month. Um, Uh, Gestation in humans, or in humans carrying a construct child, is uh, an an extra three months, right? No, it's.
1: I just imagine, like you know, yeah. Like, can you imagine, like a nine-month pregnant woman? When you look at it, it's like you can tell the person Hmm. is struggling. Like the the lady is just like. I mean, I remember my mother, and I remember many you know females before that, just like. It's just mm-hmm. such a weight and problem of you know all the organs being squished and peeing every five seconds because the bladder is being kicked and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So imagine three extra months of that. Yeah. Like, wow. Uh,
0: that's the. Yeah. And it was already an imposition, like making Leth pregnant uh, by Nakang without having sort of uh, you know uh, really consulted her consciously about that, and now it's
1: an extra three months <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> but when? But, but the thing is. right uh, there's a reason why we women give birth at nine months is because if we waited longer, it's mm. a problem of the baby may not be able to come out from the vaginal canal, right? Because the you know, the hips, even though like the uh pelvis is adjusting mm. to the you know, for giving birth, but like still,
0: I, I, th- I think I think we um, I think this may have come up before with the whole sort of evolution of human intelligence thing and, and, and our long childhoods because. Like humans are are born um, quite prematurely.
1: I think it's uh, also because of the standard to... posture. I think also.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is the whole kind of the the trade off between having increasing cranial volume and um, the ability to run with hip width. So, like, if, if if women's hips get much wider than they are within the current range uh, of, of women's hips, then they basically can't run effectively. Um, like bipedally, it becomes a real problem to run once your hips get beyond a certain point, just you know, biophysically, right? So, we can't get much wider in terms of the the hip width uh, without having um, without having a problem mm-hmm. running. So, there's like an upper limit on how wide the hips can be and how big the the um, the, the birth canal can be. So that meant there was a constraint on the maximum size of the head of the baby because it has to fit yes. through the gap right um, and that also means that uh, as, as a consequence of that we're, we're born quite um, young uh, relatively speaking right so I mean if you look at say um,
1: I mean look uh, at I'm the animals Actually, you would have literally yeah. fully functional I mean basically a uh, miniature versions of the adults
0: exactly I, I, um, I mean I, I once watched um, an alpaca being mm-hmm. born um, and the the baby alpaca you know we, we pulled out of the the mother alpaca and kind of you know flopped on the floor for a second and then just like stood up and started walking around <laughs> immediately right uh and human babies are uh basically completely useless and utterly helpless for like an extended period of time after they're born uh, and they, you know they can't they don't even have the like the musculature to support their own heads Im- immediately after being born let alone like get up and walk away uh um, and a, a, a part of that is because of the the constraint of of, of uh, you know, women's hip, um, hip sizes, uh, and and the you know ability to have a big brain. So you know we do a lot more development um, out of the womb than most other animals do, um, and you know, there's a whole kind of debate over to what degree this might have contributed to the the development of our in- intelligence and the kind of um, you know the long childhood that we have. I mean, and, and in so a way, on. it's but,
1: also yeah. it's indicative of. Um why humans are a, um, like, developed civilizations, right? Because it's something that uh, Margaret Mead, that the lady was mentioned actually in the book one, who was the, uh, what's the paleontologist? No, uh, um, an
0: anthropologist. Anthropologist, sorry,
1: yes. She talked about, like, what's the first science of civilization? And potentially is the fact that, you no, know, when people get sick, when animals get sick, usually sick, they usually are left on their own, right? If they cannot catch up with their... Um, to their um group, um, then they usually <laughs> die. Whereas in humans, if the like the fact that the first sign of civilization is that a fusing bone, right, that somebody had to be there, or somebody broke their bone, and had somebody had to be there to provide them with food, shelter, water, blah blah, so that they you know <laughs> they can survive, right. And I think it's also the same with the giving birth, right. There has to be someone to assist the woman giving birth to take care of her because she'll be exhausted after that, especially in the circumstances where there's like literally nothing, right? So you have to bring food, mm-hmm. shelter, or protect against any predators and stuff like that, right? So yeah. all of that. So
0: I think like this is kind of among the hypotheses for, for that kind of um, like origin of, of uh, cooperation and civilization stuff in that like the the sort of the pattern that we developed for caring for for children. Mm-hmm because of that evolutionary constraint, kind of mapped onto the pattern for caring for mm-hmm. others at a later point. But yeah, I mean, it's all very hypothetical because that's a difficult set of stuff to to sort of demonstrate more empirically, right? Because we only have what we can infer from, from the history of it. We can't I mean, really we can't experiment. just
1: have some people but, throw uh, them into a jungle and see what's going to happen. But, you know... It's, <laughs> you
0: know, the ethics committees have a problem with this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I might some, it might find an issue or two or something. I, I'm I'm certain, you know, So I'm sure they find something. But mm-hmm. yeah, in, in all seriousness, like I think that sort of explains this 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 situation, right? Like the the whole idea, and so I cannot imagine like the Maybe. three like three extra months. My like, my goodness, unless the gestation is a bit slower.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's that was my thinking, right? Because it, it it can't. Like three extra months of growth is not something that a human can physically accommodate. Um, so it must be going a bit. I think slower. it might be <laughs> physically
1: might be slower, but I think it's the mental digestion um, that is taking. Hmm. It's 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 like with the Akin wasn't right when Akin was in the like it, hmm. the hmm. development of consciousness and the development of like the himself right the the, the awareness hmm. of uh, one's. Self, you know that might be the reason why it's extra few months because just to help give yeah. times for the consciousness to develop so they are aware of you know um the environment
0: and so i think actually it kind of makes sense with the um like the, you know, the genetic memory concept that they have So they have this kind of stronger um or slightly more biologically determined um aspect to their um to their early development right they have this um and because they have more control over their biology you, know, you have this kind of feedback loop because you know like their, their culture influences their biology but it means more of their biology can be uh, relevant to the development of their their culture uh, so you have this situation where you might want longer biological development mm-hmm. to to add or to, to permit the the sort of um, the bio, the genetic memory and the biologically pre-programmed components of stuff to to, to develop and and uh, then you go on to having the the cultural stuff in the long childhood that we long developmental history that we have from from environmental influences so because there's more biological influence uh you have more time spent on that biological component then move on to the mm-hmm. cultural stuff yeah it, it, i think it, it actually fits quite well with that yep. notion another kind of uh, really well uh um well-intuited um, way this might work biologically uh from from octavia that just occurred to me now, so...
1: No, no, you're absolutely right, <laughs> anyway, absolutely right. Just yeah. thinking about it, it actually makes sense, right, considering the fact that how um most of the things that, like, this... I mean, Akin still is young, so he might not have the full... hasn't tapped in fully to that genetic memory. But there is still there that, mm. you know, we can tell that he's aware that he's uh, capable of understanding or it's something that's out there you know like the boundary he's sensing that he was sensing when he was probing lilith like there might be something mm. that that's you know answers those Um, uh, is an, ex- a- an explanation to those things um mm. but let's go back to the chapter because so we've been going on the off tangent a lot and, i mean it makes sense because this giving some new information Hmm. So Nikanj was there with them, searching for where the child could appear would appear. In humans, the child would always leave the same way. Uh, you know the same orifice. It was a painful process but Nikanj would call would always cut the pain away. For the onkali on the other hand, it was never painful, but they never knew which way would the child leave and as there was no birth orifice as, as, as in humans. And I thought this was really interesting because it basically was like the mm-hmm. alien popping out of the you know stomach from the alien movie. It's just like it can come out yeah. from any place, right? And uh, meaning that one, as you mentioned in the in your comment, like this organ system, right? So we're like. What happens to the internal organs? Like, how how does the baby choose which way does it go? Like, is is um, is female on kali capable of like moving their gar- organs around, or what, what's going on?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting one, right? Because it it seems it it, it it seems weird that you wouldn't have a an a, you know an an, or, an an orifice specifically for this function, or at least you know, uh, one with a joint function like um, like cloacas in, in yeah. birds. But it's it's. Um, <laughs> It seems dangerous to, to not have a, a like a defined route out. But well, I feel like
1: as it talks about later <laughs> on in the chapters like that you can't just touching it and then like the 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 um, the tissue around it starts bulging and molting, moving right around and I think it's like I mm. imagine it like being like a sac inside like the amniotic sac in humans mm. but then the baby's like oh, okay so probably this way is probably the best way to go and the cells start to create like a canal in there Right? And then there is just yeah, sort of like a small yeah. canal and it started expanding more and more with the help of the oil.
0: And from the description later on about the, the, the head tentacles of, of the baby, it sounds like you know they were kind of secreting something that was causing this this rippling yes, on, yes, on, yes, in, yes. in, in the, the tissues that we see and that I think that kind of fits with mm-hmm. this idea of you know the, 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 it like responds to that and makes a channel um but yeah super, super weird unusual and way of doing that I was that, trying you know.
1: to find a possible equivalent in nature of such mm-hmm. behavior in a way I mean like you know it's yeah. it's hard to find something like this like I mean there are like for, for example um, um. There were, like, like for fertilization, right? It's easy to find examples of, like, fusing hmm. and stuff like that. No, it's, uh, you know, this anglerfish, fish, for example, they fuse. But, like, for birthing, like, something like hmm. this, the only example... Like,
0: I mean, there are... Is it bed bugs? Are you, actually, what were you going for? I was for?
1: going Let's for think. the Suriname toad. That the one has, okay. like... Oh, yeah, has, yeah. Hmm. It's, uh, the eggs are laid at the back and then basically holes form when the, where the tadpoles are supposed to come out and basically the fish oh, yeah. uh, sorry, the the frog just goes into water and then just squeezes them out into the water, right? So something along those lines um, I mean some ideas were like um, seahorses, but seahorses are pretty much, there's only one orifice mm. in males, right? But the Suriname mm-hmm. toad was like the closest idea i could think of
0: so i mentioned bed bugs and that's but i don't know about how they actually like lay the eggs as a result but the female bed bugs don't have a um, they don't have like a genitalia mm-hmm. um, the male bed bugs just like punch a hole in their carapace with like a barbed um penis thing um and in, in inject the the sperm but they don't like there's not a a defined place for it, they just like punch a hole on the carapace
1: mm-hmm. and but that's do the same thing. thing happens um, in the octopi like the the two male octopuses will uh octopi will uh fight with each other, mm-hmm. like rip each other pen- penises and try to stab each other, and then whoever gets stabbed becomes the female. Oh, okay, oh,
0: I didn't know that. <laughs>
1: yeah, just imagine like humans like you know ripping the dicks and just like <laughs> trying to stab you, and if you get stabbed, you become the female. It's like <laughs>
0: and that's pretty weird yeah
1: my imagination is running wild at this point <laughs> yeah it's
0: like you lose a fight and all of a, like, a sudden you're, <laughs> you're pregnant it's like igles. well yeah okay yeah that's a yeah that's a weird one hmm. now, nature Yeah, nature is strange
1: the, sometimes the evolutionary mechanism you know uh animals you know reproduce or just be is just so weird
0: yeah, the diversity of the different strategies and and the uh, brutality, brutality of some it's of them.
1: That's a is, good way to describe it, brutality. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
0: mm. But anyway, yeah. So the, I, I mean, part of my curiosity about this was kind of what's the origin of it? Um, you know, like w- w- what's the um, you know, what in the the history or the evolutionary history of the iron collar? meant that this they didn't have a particular uh, mm-hmm, orifice mm-hmm. for this, but uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't really have any it. honestly when you think it.
1: about it it makes sort of no sense because like I mean if you have energy to, like energy wise spent energy to create a hole like now imagine now like there's no uloy around you right something happened and you have to give hmm. birth right that means the baby obviously will become an uloy because of the hostile environment but hmm. like do you have the capability to create that hole by yourself right what if the baby just decides to make a hole through your forehead or something? I mean that's a very yeah, I
0: mean, presumably there's some chemotactic no, no, stuff course, going on like, to this like is direct very, it in a direction that's this is not a very
1: be. uh over the top example, but you no, know, like there could be places that if yeah. if the baby decides to leave in that way could be dangerous for the body, right? Yeah, yeah. I just feel like that this evolutionary-wise, it makes more sense to have a hole.
0: Mm-hmm. Although I suppose it, it is one of those things where it might be a um uh, a use it or lose it type feature, right? Where the, there has not been a need for one to exist for a, a long time, so it's just become like a vestigial thing, um, because the you know everyone is is now doing it this way, and so there's no selective pressure to maintain the previous mechanism, so it just atrophy. To be
1: fair, I think uh, if we were able yeah. to see what the original, like the very primer, like the primer. Uh um, hmm. Yeah, it'd be super
0: interesting to know more about the Yeah, the, ancestors. So the first
1: ancestors yeah. of the like the first very first Onkali on their Onkali planet looked like. Then hmm. that would probably answer all the questions to be fair. Yeah, yeah, probably it was a good uh,
0: good insight. But mm. yeah, we're kind of uh, speculating yes, in the dark. Honestly. On that
1: one. Yeah, it's hard to tell because we can't unless the Onkali specify specified it, but probably not the one. This is just you know. But anyway. As this whole situation was Akin. taking place, you no, know, like they were all in the meantime, they were all worried about Akin because the men who came through did not belong to any resistor village. They were nomads. Traveling traders when they had goods, raiders when they had nothing. Maybe they would try to raise Akin against the Onkali. Humans tried before this tactic, but never were a child so young. The chan was worried about Akin. But that doesn't make sense because Akin is already so intelligent. They would have to literally Get the child before even the like, you know, because Akin was already almost one year old That's still too late for them. Hmm. Like they would have to grab the child the moment it was born to actually for it to succeed Um, Mm -hmm. The child uh, decided to emerge from Akin's left side She lay down her right side and Dichan and uh, Lilith kept their contact while Nikan slowly massaged the area of the rippling flesh this is an excerpt from the book. In tiny circular waves, the flesh withdrew itself from a central point, which grew slowly to show a darker grey, a temporary orifice which were with, within which the child's head tentacles could be seen uh, moving slowly. These tentacles had released the substance that began the birth process. They were responsible now for the way I, I just flesh rippled outside. Nikanja exposed one of its sensory hands, reached into the orifice and lightly touched the child's head tentacles. The head tentacles grabbed the sensory arm. I just knew the baby was coming out, so she lied down on her side. Without the touch, the child would prepare as if more uh, for a more dangerous environment and turn into an alloy. The child came out from the birth orifice. It was grey, full of head tentacles, but only with few small body tentacles. It had a human face. It also had an orifice at its throat, surrounded by pale, well-developed tentacles that moved slightly as the child breathed. That meant that the nose was only cosmetic. The child had a full set of teeth, like all construct, and would be given everything to eat. The child imagined that Akin would keep himself alive by grazing and eating whatever he could find. Humans, though, were always frightened when they saw a young child putting something strange in its mouth. If the raiders were conscientious, normal humans, they, would, might, they might kill him. That's where the chapter ends.
0: Hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah, the description of the child is a little um, weird. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you got the the one where tentacles, but with like a human face, and then this weird like throat orifice thing. It um uh, reminds me almost of one of those um uh, like stoma things that smoking. Yes, you know, people who've, who've smoked so much they have a, yeah. a cat. yeah. It's like a little extra throat orifice with like tentacles. Yeah, that's time, exactly
1: like, what that's... I imagined. I was just like, oh. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just it's, the thing um, is the fact yeah. that the child had teeth meaning that obviously it would eat mm-hmm. normally using the mouth but the breathing was done through the orifice. so technically there could evolution wise they could probably they probably modify so there's a separation between the esophagus and the thorax so meaning that mm-hmm. like there's no problem yeah. with the baby eating food stuffing the food as much because they, it can breathe anyway. Which I think is a great advantage. The amount of kids that... Hmm. Yeah, the actually, of yeah. people and usually choke themselves on food and the amount of kids that choke on the food is just, like, ridiculous, so... Yeah.
0: Actually, that's another problem with humans being bipedal is that, um, like, the alignment of our throat, sort of, skull and spine is, is like, really off for, for the ability to swallow and not end up, like, yeah. accidentally getting stuff in yeah. our windpipe. We're, we're much more prone to choking than something that's arranged horizontally with the spine. Um, because like the the direction of the windpipe is is no longer like it's not got like a right angle hook at the top of the mm-hmm. the system, right? It's kind of in yep. a straight line. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, choking hazard is one of the other things that uh, uh, kind of got a bit weird because of our bipedalism.
1: I mean, to be fair, I think that the fact that us humans getting uh, bigger brains was much more beneficial than all the other things that other animals had is a significant example of nature being really weird. Mm. Like, you would think that, oh, you know, like, if you design humans 2.0, you'd be like, oh, okay, let's get rid of, like, appendix, let's get rid of, you know, like, fix that problems that are, like, the minor problems that have, have were created because of us even just standing upwards. Like, that's the biggest problem. Like, us mm. standing upwards was a big problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, All of the, the back issues and yeah, so on. So
1: yeah, so, like... You would think that, you know, humans 2.0 are like, okay, let's do that, but no, big brain time, so...
0: Yep, Uh, it it, it kind of, like, all of the other biological costs that we end up paying for having a bigger brain really illustrate how effective it is because we're having to, you know, absorb all these other problems as a result of it. uh,
1: It literally is a big brain time for developing a big brain. Mm. But yeah, it's it's Mm. those three chapters. Like, one, we know, like, we were told about... um, you know the the whole fact on uh what was continuing to happen to Akin, and then too we were told about, a bit more about the Onkali, which is nice because we get to learn about them a bit more.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's always nice when we get a little bit more insight into the the biology of the Onkali because it's always it's always fascinating.
1: Absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. And
0: Yeah, and the whole um and uh, it would be interesting here to know a little bit more about what what Lilith is thinking in this whole scene, right? Because uh, well, I suppose we. She will have experienced it before by now, but the whole, um, like the involvement in in the birth process for, for uh, one of the, the hybrid kids that's being carried by uh, the female Oankali, uh, uh, just uh, thats a whole a whole other different weird biological thing that Leth has been roped into. I think it's.
1: I think we've <laughs> uh-huh. talked about this before, but I think it's. You've said it before that I think it has to be in a way that to establish the family. Right, it's 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 confirmation. Like mm-hmm. that the fact that everybody's involved is the reason why you know it's it's to ensure that the family structure is maintained. Right?
0: Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, to to uh, be a, uh, an aspect of of um, sort of interpersonal bonding yeah. with respect to the the family unit, so yeah, yeah. they can uh, you know, successfully raise the kids with all of the resource demands mm-hmm. that that entails. But yeah. So, so, some good, good chapters.
1: chapters. And my chapter six prediction, before I forget, is exactly the same as chapter five. Ah, yes. Um. So mm-hmm. it's back to Akeen and the man traveling towards Phoenix, and maybe they meet, finally reach the destination, and there's some weird, like I don't know, uh, arms race to trying to find Kali, or maybe it's just a desolate, vill- desolate, no village because there's no one le- left. I don't know, but it's I I feel like they're gonna meet some other humans
0: okay so we're gonna see phoenix yeah uh, uh, if the, not the phoenix
1: definitely there. some hum- other humans
0: some other group of humans okay then <laughs> now good uh, edging
1: <laughs> just leaving as many doors open so that you know i will always come out on top there we go
0: <laughs> no this is how psychics basically
1: work yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> Okay then. Okay
0: then. Right, so uh, we should probably uh, wrap up.
1: Yeah, thank you very much everyone for listening. We are Xenothesis. You can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Glinko.
0: I was Richard Acton. Bye-bye.